0: 11 is something of a portrait gallery. I don't know if you've ever been into a portrait gallery before. It's a little bit like going through a cemetery. Just instead of headstones, there are pictures. I, this last week, went through a couple different cemeteries, one where my grandpa and grandma were uh, buried, one where my father is buried. And as you go through those Cemeteries, you see headstones for various people, you look at the birth and their death to calculate how old they are they were when they passed. You see a memory, a memorial that is given to them. Perhaps now even there are pictures that are placed on headstones. You see stories of tragedy. You wonder why did that young boy die at 18 years old? Why did this girl die at six years old? There is a story that is behind. Each gravestone, and at least for me personally, when I go to a cemetery, I like to look around because it reminds me of the value of life, that each one of these people had their own story, their own value, each made in the image of God. But it also sobers me to remind me that I one day will join them and it will be sooner than I expect. I one day will have a tombstone there. I will be remembered with a date of birth and a date of death. And a picture gallery is something similar. We go into a picture gallery in a museum and we see a famous artist from hundreds of years ago drawing out a portrait of a person. We know nothing more about them. Why does Mona Lisa have that hint of a smile that everyone's wondered, what is she actually communicating? We don't know. All we know is we look at the portrait and she is telling us something by her facial expression. The artist is telling us something. And here in Hebrews 11, that we began studying last week, the author of Hebrews is painting pictures for us of people who lived and have now died. He is pointing back to the Old Testament, the heroes of the Old Testament. And he begins... His first portrait as we enter the gallery is of a man named Abel. Hebrews 11, verse 4 says, By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Thank you. By which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. Come with me into this portrait gallery this morning. Let's stop at this first picture, the picture of Abel. And let's ask what the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us from this one very brief snapshot into the life of this man, Abel. Now, you need to understand this about Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is God's commentary on the Old Testament. Now, what is a commentary? I have had the blessing of commentaries people who have written before on certain Bible passages. When I have a challenge, a challenging passage, I go to a commentary and I read and see how men of the past, spiritual men have interpreted this passage and sometimes I reject it and sometimes I accept it. But these commentaries are helpful to us and I would be happy to even direct you into some good reliable commentaries that you could use in your own personal study of the Bible. But this is a far better commentary than anything we see in modern day, because this is God's commentary. This is God telling us what actually happened in our Old Testament text, which means that while we look at Hebrews 4, or excuse me, Hebrews 11, where should also we be looking? To the text itself. Will you turn with me, keep one finger in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, and turn back to Genesis chapter 4. This is the story that God is now commenting on by his Holy Spirit. This is the story of Abel. Genesis chapter 4, Genesis being our first book in all the Bible. You start on the first page, turn four chapters in, and you're there. Chapter 4 and verse 1 says, And Adam knew Eve his wife. They were sexually intimate. And she conceived and bare Cain. Cain was her firstborn and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. So she has a second son, a younger brother. And Abel was a keeper of sheep. He was a shepherd. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. He was a man who worked in the field. So you have two brothers, same parents, right? Same teaching growing up. Both have professions. One deals with animals. One deals with, with the fruit of the ground, with plants. That's what we know about them. And in process of time, the Hebrew literally is the end of days. At the right season, at the appointed time, Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. So Cain takes what he had grown in the field and he brings it to God as an offering to God. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. Cain brings uh, plants, the material from the ground. Abel brings an animal. He brings something of his flock. Now notice, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. The idea of this word respect is looking at something with favor. want you to imagine for a moment that you have a child, a young child, and they do something that pleases you. They do something good, and you look at them, and you want to communicate, you've done something good, so what do you do? You look at them, and you smile, and you say, good job. You look at them, you focus on them, and you communicate that you're pleased. Now, what happens if your young child does something wrong? You do not want to communicate approval to them. You might do this. You might look at them and then you might look away and you might shake your head and you say, no, that was not right. One, you are giving respect. You are giving regard to what is good and you are turning away your regard from what is bad. That's the idea here. God regarded what Abel brought and said, this is good. And he did not regard what Cain brought. He said, this was bad. And notice... Verse 5, and Cain was very wroth. We would say furious. He was furious. He was in a rage. And his countenance fell. What do you mean his countenance fell? Have you ever seen a little kid who gets, when something doesn't go their way, their lower lip sticks out about eight inches? Call it the poochy lip. Do you know adults have poochy lips too? They just don't stick their lower lip out. This would probably help you when someone cuts you off on the highway, or as road rage, or as some other thing. They're just rude to you. Just picture them as a little child with a poochy lip out, and that might help you realize what's actually going on. They're just throwing a temper tantrum, and and Cain threw a temper tantrum. He was mad. And notice what God says. The Lord said to Cain, "Why are you wroth? Why are you furious? Why is your countenance fallen? If thou doest well, if you do well, if you do what's right, shalt thou not be accepted?" This is obvious. Just do what's right and you will be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lies at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire. The idea seems to be to sin. And you need to rule over your sin. Your sin is crouching at the door like a lion waiting for you and you need to get mastery over that sin. Cain did not. Verse 8 tells us Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. He killed him. The first murder right here. Why? Because he was mad that God accepted Abel's offering and he rejected his own Cain's. And so he killed him. And the Lord said unto Cain, where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? It's a lie. He knew exactly where Abel was. He killed him. He put his body in the ground. And listen to what God says. And he said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood cries to me from the ground. You see that? His blood is speaking to God. It's crying out to God. And he says, and now, Cain, art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee your strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain is cursed to go as a wanderer for the rest of his life in response to his murder. That's the story. That's the story of Abel. And now, as a commentary on that, Hebrews 11 tells us that by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. You say, what does that mean? We're going to understand, I hope, three things that Abel's faith testify to for us. And I hope this will be a challenge and encouragement to us. The title of the message this morning is, By Faith, a Better Sacrifice. By Faith, a Better Sacrifice. Will you look with me again At first, what Abel's faith did. What Abel's faith did. Remember last week we talked about the fact that faith is the substance of what we hope for. It substantiates what we hope for. And it is the evidence of things we do not see. Faith is the confident conviction and assurance and reality of things that we cannot see with these eyes. It is the proof of it. To our hearts. And so now, here, Abel's faith is working, it is acting, and what it has done by faith, scripture says, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Now, notice the similarities between these two people. They are genetically related, they're from the same family, they're brothers. They have the same teaching, Adam and Eve teaching them about who God was and how they had fallen into sin. They both have honorable professions. One is a shepherd. One is a keeper of the ground. Both of them honorable things. Both of them approach God. Both of them bring an offering to him. You say, where did they bring it? We have no idea. The Bible doesn't tell us. But they knew that they were bringing an offering to God. And yet notice how dissimilarly they're treated. One is accepted and one is rejected. You say, how was it accepted? Good question we don't know. Many have speculated that perhaps Abel's offering was accepted by God in fire that consumed it, as God did at other points in the Bible. But that's just speculation. We have no idea. All we know is that it was obvious. It was obvious to Cain and it was obvious to Abel. One was accepted, one was refused. Now what explains this difference? Why was Abel's offering accepted and why was Cain's rejected? We might say that doesn't sound fair. Let me tell you perhaps the most common explanation for it. The most common explanation is that Abel's was a blood sacrifice, a sacrifice from an animal, and Cain's sacrifice was sacrificed from the ground. It was the fruit of the ground. And God accepted a blood offering. He did not accept a plant-based, a vegetable offering. Now, this would look back to what God did for Adam and Eve. Do you remember what God did for Adam and Eve when they sinned and now they needed to be clothed, their nakedness needed to be clothed, their shame needed to be covered? God, what did God do for them? He provided what? A covering through what? An animal. That was the first sacrifice for mankind. And so we might say, well, maybe looking back, there's a picture of this sacrifice that God was giving them teaching on how he wanted them to approach him. And not only that, it points forward to Jesus because Jesus was the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. And therefore, looking back and looking forward, maybe it was that Abel gave a blood sacrifice and Cain did not, and Cain was rejected and Abel was accepted. Now, that would be a very common approach in conservative biblical circles, people who take seriously the word of God. But you know, there are a couple problems with that. The first is that the Bible never tells us that. There's no instruction that we see in Genesis or in Hebrew that God came to Cain and Abel and said, Abel and Cain, you bring me blood sacrifices, that's how you're supposed to approach me. It's sheer speculation. Not only that, there's another problem. In the Old Testament, God's people were commanded to bring him vegetable sacrifices. They were commanded to bring him offerings of the fruit of the ground. We see it in Moses' law. Same word for offering here in the Hebrews used for both of them. So it seems a little bit strange to me with, with no textual basis and without even any basis otherwise in Scripture to say God only accepts animal sacrifices to believe that it was the difference between a blood sacrifice and a vegetable sacrifice. No, it seems to me that both of these people were not coming to God to have their sins forgiven. They were coming as an offering of worship before God. They were offering him what they had. What did Cain have? He had plants, so he brought that. What did Abel have? He had animals, so he brought that. Both of them were approaching God as an act of worship, but one was rejected and one was accepted. So what is going on? Again, is it possible that it was the difference between a blood sacrifice and a vegetable sacrifice? It's possible. But the point is the Bible doesn't tell us. And so I prefer not to rely on that explanation because it would only be speculation, even though theologically grounded speculation. So why? Why? Let's go back to Genesis chapter 4 and see what this text says and what this commentary might be making In Hebrews 11. Will you look with me in verse 3? Scripture says it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. Okay, cool. Cain brought an offering of what he had to give. The produce of the field. But notice what it says of Abel. And Abel, he also brought of what? The firstlings of his flock. You say, what is a firstling? A firstling is the very first Little lambs that are produced. Is his flock going to multiply? How are they going to multiply? Because the moms get pregnant and have little babies. And what is Abel doing? He's taking the very first of all his interest, of all his produce, and he's bringing it to God. He's saying, here, the very first is yours. Not only that, it also tells us, and of the fat thereof. You say, why is that relevant? Because as we see elsewhere in the Bible, the fat was the most prized part of any sacrifice. The fat was the central, most valuable, most precious thing of that animal sacrifice. And here, scripture wants to tell us that while Cain brought produce, was it the first fruits? It doesn't tell us. The picture is that Cain just looked around for something to bring for God and he brought him whatever was at hand. What does the Bible tell us that Abel brought? That Abel brought what was most special, what was most precious, what was most valuable. And friends, my suggestion to you is from the biblical evidence, this is the fundamental reason Hebrews 11 says it was Abel that offered by faith. Why? Do you remember what faith is? Faith is that which makes real to you what you can't see. Faith is that which gives you an assurance, a conviction of things that you can't access by these eyes or by your human perception. And so therefore, Abel came by faith with a conviction, an assurance, a reality that God was real. And what is the only way people act when they believe with all their heart that God is real? What do they give him? Their best. They prepare. They humble themselves. They said, God, you deserve what is my best. I think this commentary from Hebrews 11 verse 4 is the best ground we have to say why Abel brought it by faith because God was so real to him that he knew he could give him nothing but his best. And Cain simply scrounged whatever he had. Hebrews 11 says, why were they treated dissimilarly? Because Abel offered by faith and Cain did not. Now what does this mean for us? It means that something real about faith, when faith is real in our lives, it means our offerings to God have our heart, not just our behavior, not just our external conduct. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 tells us that every man should give what he purposes in his heart to God. What he has conviction about is in his heart. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. God loves someone who approaches him when his heart is in it. When her heart and soul are in it. And here Abel, gripped by the reality of God, by faith, says, God, I'm giving you everything that my heart has to offer you. And Cain, Cain checked a box. You know what people are when they check a box, don't you? The people who come to work and punch in and punch out, their heart is never in it. The people who check a box because they just have a list of tasks that they have to get through. And the tragedy is that many people think they are worshiping God by checking a box. They come to church on Sunday morning. Why? Because they think they should. They're checking a box. They come to church on Sunday morning because they're supposed to, because that's what they've always done. They come to church because they need to check the box of being a good parent. My kids need church. And then they look up to God and say, here's my offering, God. I'm checking the box that you want. And God looks down on them like he looks Cain, and he says, you think I accept that? And then there are others. They worship God not because it's a box to check, it's because their heart is in it. Friends, we should ask ourselves very soberly, why did I come to church today? Why did I open my hymnal and sing those songs of the Christian faith? Was my heart in it? Was my soul in it? Was I singing as one who was bringing my best to God? Or was I stumbling through it just checking a box because that's what everyone else is doing at church? Friends, that'll show whether your offering to God today is by faith or whether it's by something else and it's not just when I'm here at this church. I'll tell you to my own shame, when I was a young man, I used to remember one of my offerings that I would give to God was my scripture reading in the morning. i do my devotions and I can't tell you the times when that thought would come into my mind. I'd better do my devotions this morning because I got a test today and I don't want to get a bad grade. I better have my devotions this morning because I've got a game tonight and I don't want to fail what is that? that's box checking in the extreme it's box checking what is it? it is saying I'm looking for something from God and therefore I'm going to check the box so that I am not worshipping God with all my heart and with all my soul I'm just doing it to get something and an even greater tragedy is that sometimes we as parents teach our children to do exactly that. Here's your list of tasks to be a good Christian. It means doing your devotions. It means praying. It means going to church. It means helping out in ministry. Do these things. Check the boxes. And there's never a question underlying. It just says, was your heart in it? Are you cheerful while you're doing it? Is your heart gripped by faith at what you're doing as a purpose? It's real. You're worshiping God with it. You're giving him of your best. It's just checking a box. And you know, friends, this is, this is human religion. Box checking. Do you know how to become a Muslim? To become a Muslim is to, is, to, is to do the first pillar of Islam, the Shahada. To become a Muslim, literally the only thing you need to do is you need to stand in front of two people and you need to recite that, that you believe that there is only one God and that Muhammad is his only prophet on earth. And Muslims would tell you, you can look it up, they would tell you, you're a Muslim if you say that twice, if you say that before two witnesses, you're a Muslim. What is that? Checking a box. Do you know what human religion is? In, even in our broader Christian circles, when we believe that our box-checking exercises give us favor with God? If you look at some of the, great, the greatest denominations, even in the Christian world, if you were to ask someone who is a Roman Catholic how they are saved, how they are right with God. You would oftentimes find a list of requirements that appear to be of the box-checking variety. You need to get baptized. You need to go on through confirmation, which perfects your baptism. Then you need to continue on regularly in the Eucharist in partaking in communion. And then not only that, you need before you die to make sure all your mortal sins are confessed, and then you're a Christian. And I don't say this to be hostile to those who are Roman Catholics. Some of the dearest and sweetest people I know are. And I have no doubt in my mind that there will be many Roman Catholics in heaven one day. But I do believe this. Those folks are saved in spite of what they are taught, not because of it. Because box checking is never the way to come to God. Box checking when I check something off, a ritual off the list that gives me favor with God is never it. Always the principle of approaching God is the principle of faith in which my heart is involved, in which my life and soul are connected. You see, Jesus said this in John 4. He was talking to a woman at a well who was a Samaritan, and this woman was trying to get off the scent. She was trying to distract him by saying, Jesus, you're telling me these things, but you're a Jew, and Jews worship in Jerusalem, and I'm a Samaritan, and Samaritans worship over here. And Jesus cuts through all of it. He said, it doesn't matter where you worship, the day is coming. He said, in the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. In spirit, with their hearts, with their affections, with their souls. For For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Who is God looking for to worship? He is looking for those who will come to him with their spirits, with their hearts, with their engagement of faith. To say, God, I believe you're real and I'm pursuing you with everything that I have. I just plead with you, friends. If your approach to God today or in the religion that you have been taught is that you needed to check a series of boxes to be right with him, look at Cain and Abel and look at the fact that that has never been the case. God has always been approached by the heart of faith. Does that heart work? Does that faith prove itself in action? It does, but it always starts with the heart, with faith. And that's why we need to see not only what Abel's faith did, but we need to see what Abel's faith received. Because you'll notice with me in Hebrews 11, verse 4, it says, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. What was that? A sacrifice in faith with his heart. But then it says, by which he obtained witness. He obtained a testimony that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts. Notice what his faith received. It received God's approval. Now here's another interesting part. Genesis 4 says nothing about the fact that, that, that Abel was righteous. It doesn't tell us that. But Hebrews 11 says God testified that he was righteous. How does this commentary know that? How do we know that Abel was a righteous man when all we know was that he offered, brought an offering to God with his whole heart, and he was accepted. Go back, will you, to Genesis chapter 4 again? Again, Hebrews 11 is a commentary on the text we see in Genesis chapter 4. Verse 4 says this, And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. Do you see that? He did not just have regard. He did not just accept Abel's offering. He accepted who? Abel himself. And it says the same thing next. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. What was happening? It was not just that God was saying, I'm accepting this offering of worship. He was saying to Abel, I am accepting you. And that is why the author of Hebrews can look at Abel and say that was a righteous man. God testified. He gave witness to everyone that Abel was righteous. Why? Because he accepted his offering. And God doesn't accept offerings from people who are wicked. That's the logic. How do we know that Abel was righteous? Because God accepted his offering. An offering brought by faith. And in it God accepted Abel. Do you know Jesus himself in Matthew 23 calls him righteous Abel? Why? Because God testified that he was righteous when he accepted the offering that he received. Now what about Cain? The Bible tells us that Cain was wicked 1 John 3 says, For this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one. He was of Satan. And slew, killed his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Why did he kill him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Why did God accept Abel's offering? Because he was righteous. Why was he righteous? Because he brought it by faith. Why did God reject Cain's offering? Because Cain was wicked. Why was he wicked? Because he brought his offering in unbelief. Because he he wasn't gripped by the reality of God in his soul. He wasn't convinced of the things that he could not see. He was not a person of faith. Now don't get this wrong. Throughout all of the Bible... God is bringing these two things together. Faith and righteousness. Faith and acceptance by God. Do you want to be accepted by God? Then come by faith. There's no other way. Do you want to be righteous before him? Then live a life of faith. There is no other way. Remember where this passage introduces us. Hebrews 10 tells us, The just shall live by faith. Do you want to be righteous? Walk in faith. Do you want to be accepted by God? Come to him in the confident belief that he is and that he will reward those who diligently seek him. Friend, what greater approval could you have? What greater acceptance could you have this morning than that God calls you righteous? What greater blessing could there be in all of world history if God shines a spotlight on you and said, this man, this woman, I accept, I approve of them. Do you know what people will do today to get the approval, the acceptance of those who are famous and powerful? You see those politicians all the time. A politician becomes president, and then what do you see? You see a stream of people going to them and bowing and kissing their ring because they want to be approved, they want to be accepted. You see celebrity, you see those who are wealthy, you see the boss. Everyone goes to the boss. Everyone wants to be approved. Everyone wants to be accepted. Friend, what is greater than being accepted by the one who made you and by the one who controls all things? How are we accepted of God? How does God approve of us? It's not like Cain bringing our offering to him and checking the box. It is coming to him with an offering of faith. What is faith? Faith is the substance. It substantiates what you hope for in the future. Faith is the evidence of what you do not see. Faith is the confident assurance that God is who he said he is in his word. And that he will approve of you if you come to him in humble faith. Friends, this is God's testimony. Can't you just imagine in this picture gallery, Abel, here's a picture of him. Here's a picture of his offering coming before God and emblazoned across it in big, highlighted, all caps, underlined letters. There's one word, righteous. And it's in God's handwriting. And God says, look at this man and know how I want you to live. By faith. Come to me in faith. What Abel's faith received in his righteous sacrifice before God was God's testimony of him that he was accepted. And friends, the only way that you and I will be accepted as righteous before God is not by the good things that I do, because those can never gain my acceptance before God. Only when I come to him by faith. And that's why we need to turn to the last point here. Not just what Abel's faith did. Not just what it received. But what it testified. Notice verse 4. Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. By which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts. And now notice this. And by it he being dead yet speaketh. You say what does that mean? Abel is still speaking even though he's dead. Now some look at this and say, this is about his blood sacrifice that he brought. He's still speaking by this avenue of faith. But remember, this is a commentary on Genesis chapter 4. Do you remember anywhere in Genesis chapter 4 where Abel keeps on speaking even though he's dead? Do you remember? Don't you remember what God told Cain? After he murdered His brother Abel, God looked at Cain and said, your brother's blood is speaking to me from the ground. It's crying out to me from the ground. I think this is what the author of Hebrews 11 is gesturing to. He's saying Abel is dead, but he's still speaking. Just like his blood spoke to God from the ground. Friend, let me ask you this. What did Abel's blood speak to God? A righteous man who was killed without any justification, without any provocation. What was Abel's blood speaking to God? Justice! That is why God said to Cain, you are cursed. Your brother's blood is speaking to me from the ground and I must bring vengeance. Friends, there is a murder spree going on in our city right now. Three more people dead within the last 24 hours or, or so. I saw a story that was just heartrending of a six year old girl, a precious six year old girl on 35th and Penn, shot dead in a, in a crossfire of bullets. A nine year old girl. What does their blood say to us? What does our blood say when an innocent girl passes away? It says, This is awful. Justice needs to be done. And Abel's blood is a righteous man by faith, cried out to God for justice. Friends, do you know the life of faith will not necessarily be an easy life for you? Do you know the life of faith may result in you being persecuted just like Abel was? Tune out the nonsense of these people who say you just need to exercise more faith so you can have a better life, so you can get rich, so you can live longer and be free from diseases. It's nonsense. The very first portrait that we see here in Hebrews chapter 11 is a man who exercised faith and he died for it. But there's a wonderful testimony about what Abel's blood is speaking to us. It's that Abel was the first one who ever experienced the gates of heaven. The first man. Abel was the first one ever to receive God's commendation eternally when he said, well done. Can you imagine that moment when Abel received the sight that he had longed for by faith? When his sacrifice to God had been accepted, that he was looking ahead to that moment of fellowship with God. He saw God with his own eyes his blood is speaking to us that even though he was unjustly killed, he would receive his reward of faith and live eternally with him. But there's one more thing that Abel's blood speaks to us and we have to see this. I never made this connection before. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. Just one chapter. The author of Hebrews is exhorting the Hebrews and us not to turn away from God who speaks to us through Jesus. And he says in verse 23, in 22 and on through 24, he's telling them about the inheritance that they have. They have come to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. They have come to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. They have come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling. Now listen to this that speaks better things than that of Abel. Puzzle about that for a minute. What's he talking about? Why does Jesus' blood of sprinkling speak better things than Abel's blood? You said, what is he talking about? Remember Hebrews 11. Remember Genesis 4. Abel's blood is speaking still. What is it speaking? Justice, vengeance, punishment. What is Jesus' blood speaking? Abel's blood spoke and cried for justice. Jesus' blood of sprinkling speaks for forgiveness and mercy. Abel's blood spoke that the murderer, the sinner, would be cursed and sent off as a fugitive. Jesus' blood speaks that the sinner comes and receives forgiveness. Abel's blood cries out to the murderer, be gone. Jesus' blood calls out to the sinner, come and receive forgiveness eternally. Why does Jesus' blood speak better things than that of Abel? Because Jesus' blood speaks to our greatest need to be right with God forever. In his hymn, Arise, My Soul, Arise, Charles Wesley pens these wonderful words. Five bleeding wounds he bears... One in each hand, one in each foot, one in his side. Five bleeding wounds he bears, received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh forgive, they cry. Forgive him, oh forgive, they cry. Nor let that ransomed sinner die. Friends, that's what Jesus' blood is pleading for you today. For the forgiveness of your sins. If you will come to him by faith. If you will accept the promise that he has made. That you, your righteousness before God stands and depends on Jesus alone. And his sacrifice for you on that cross. Friends, before leaving Abel's portrait this morning. My challenge to you is twofold. First, have you accepted the blood of Jesus' sacrifice to you by faith. I don't ask whether you've done a ritual, whether you've been baptized in accordance with a ritual, whether you've taken communion, whether you've done good things. Don't get me wrong. Baptism is essential. It's critical. Don't get me wrong. Taking the Lord's Supper is essential and critical. It's not the first thing. The first thing is, as you, have you come to Jesus Christ by faith with your heart? And accepted him. And secondly. Is your faith reflecting itself. In your worship to God every day. Are you coming to him in your morning quiet time. Like Abel. With your best by faith. Are you coming to him at church together. In our corporate worship. With your heart prepared. Ready to praise him with all your heart. Are you coming by faith. Are you coming to him in all of your daily activities. Worshipping him with the best. That your heart has to offer because it is by faith. Don't leave Abel's portrait in this portrait gallery until you see his faith, and even more importantly, until you see that far greater sacrifice that Jesus Christ has made for you. Let's pray.